Hello, everyone. It's Monday, January 18th. It is episode number what? Number 50. Episode 50 of the Sports Wagon Podcast begins now. Hello, everyone. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on IG and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Lots to talk about. Um, I'm excited. This is um, quite a milestone. So within the span of a week, um, there's a one-year anniversary. Now there's a 50th episode, so we're halfway to 100. Um, Again, want to thank everyone for the support, for the listens, the follows. Um, Keep that up. I I posed a question today on Twitter, um, something I kind of want to talk about a little bit later. Um, you know, maybe in another, in another episode, but I asked the question, um, you know, what is on your sports bucket list? For those of you who are, you know, really into uh, sports, you know, what is something that you want to experience um, that you've not experienced? Whether it's, you know, if you're into <clears throat> uh, horse racing, if you want to go to one or all three of the Triple Crown races, um, if you're college football, if you want to go to a game, such as the Army Navy game, or you want to experience the Iron Bowl, or you know, just or or anything. If you're in auto racing, if you want to go to the Indianapolis 500 or the Brickyard 500, so what's on your sports bucket list? So uh, hit me up on Twitter and uh, answer the uh, question. I added the tag uh, "Sports Wagon Podcast" or hashtag "Sports Wagon Podcast," so you can find it at that hashtag. And I asked that question, uh, um, so, so so just let me know what's what's on your mind as far as that's concerned. Um, so, wow, I, I, I've got a lot to go over. Um, we'll kind of start with all the NFL stuff because with the NFL, as we know, we're in hiring season. So there's been a number of hires There's still some teams that they're still, um, uh, still make, making some decisions here. So as we know, Urban Meyer finally made the decision. He's the new head coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, so there's some, some questions as to his staff right now. So right now, Scott Linehan seems to be the top uh, candidate for offensive coordinator. Uh, Raheem Morris's name has emerged as top candidate for defensive coordinator. Um, we all know Urban Meyer's, um, you know, we all know his record, what he's done in college. So he got three national championships, so both at Florida and Ohio State. But in both instances, we know that his health became an issue. Um, and again, with Ohio State, you know, we can kind of, you know, think of it, think of some other things that occurred, but nevertheless, you know, his health has always been a major concern. He had some some serious health crises uh, when he was at Ohio State, um, but he has said that you know health is something that you know he feels that he's in a good place with these, you know, the the crises that he had, he's uh, controlling them very well. Um, you know, one of the things that he also talked about was kind of, you know, dealing with losing because again, you know, dealing with losing is never easy, but you would have to figure that dealing with losing on the college level would be much different than dealing with losing in the NFL. So, um, but nevertheless, as a college coach making the leap to the NFL, there's a, a lot of pressure. Uh, we know that, you know, many college coaches make the leap, um, I would say that looking at, you know, kind of the, the, the college coaches who've made the leap, um, it's kind of been 50-50. Um, we all know that Jimmy Johnson uh, is the prototype. So he left Miami. He goes to Dallas. Um, very, very successful in Super Bowls uh, with, with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Nick Saban, <laughs> well, 
we, we all know that Saban's an outstanding coach. Um, but it seems as if college just seems to where he is, where he's making his hay right now because he went to Miami and it didn't last very long for him in Miami. He came running back to college. And as we know, he's been successful there ever since. Uh, Steve Spurrier made the leap. You know, Spurrier, again, another coach that has been extremely successful in college. I mean, if you're, if you're old enough to remember, Steve Spurrier was the head coach at Duke. And that's when Duke was a powerhouse in college football. When Spurrier left, Duke entered the dark ages as far as football is concerned. So around the time Spurrier was leaving, Coach K was on the basketball side. He was really building up that program and, and making a run towards those five national titles that Coach K has won. It took a long time, a lot of coaches to get to right now. So David Cutcliffe, although Coach Cut hasn't had, uh, you know, he hadn't didn't really have a good season this past year. The last couple seasons haven't been fantastic for Duke football, but David Cutcliffe, for the most part, has been the model of consistency at Duke, and and that's been about thirty years post Steve Spurrier. But nevertheless, Spurrier made the leap, and he came running back uh, pretty quickly. So it's going to be interesting to see. Um, what's going to happen here? I mean, we know Meyer's a winner. We know he can coach football, but, you know, let's keep it real. We know that there's going to be a distinct difference between what he can do in college, what he can do in the NFL, and, of course, how, you know, he manages um, not just the game. I mean, he, we know he can play the game, but, you know, making those, you know, having those relationships, um, you know, being the guy that's in charge of the, you know, the, the, the locker room and, and, and all that good stuff. So, I mean, um, right now, Jacksonville, they're looking at the number one pick. So more likely that's going to be Trevor Lawrence. So at least he will have a quarterback to build around. And then again, they'll just have to, you know, begin to rebuild uh, this team into a winner because I think I mentioned in the last episode, how um, I got to go back through my notes here uh, when they fired uh, their last coach, uh, Doug Marone, um, he went what one to fifteen, but again in twenty seventeen they were ten and six. They were in the AFC Championship game. So I mean, how the mighty have fallen over such a short period of time. Um, also, um, Robert Salah uh, is the new head coach of the New York Jets. So he's the uh, formerly the defense coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers. He is the first Muslim coach in the NFL. The Jets will get the second pick in the draft, so they're going to have their pick. So one thing that people were really talking about was Sam Darnold. So how does Sam Darnold feel about this? A lot of people are saying that this was a great pick because it solidifies Darnold, him staying, getting better, improving on, uh, you know, you know, just having an abysmal season uh, with, with the Jets. So, again, when you look at their pick here, they got second pick. There are two quarterbacks that become available. So you got Justin Fields, who just uh, declared for the NFL draft, I believe, today. Zach Wilson from BYU. He's, I think, a, a very capable quarterback. Um, or they could go the non-quarterback route. You've got Devontae Smith. High trophy winner from Alabama, who just had a you know fan, fantastic season, uh, uh, just a mind blowing game in the uh, national champ- uh, college football national championship. Or they could look to 
um, improve and work to build an offensive line with Panay Sewell from Oregon, who is a offensive tackle. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that the Jets could go. Of course, you know, the NFL draft is upcoming. And of all the drafts, I really hate the NFL draft. Like, I like it for what it is because, again, you know, people, you know, there are people who sit and watch the combine. I mean, for those of you who watch the combine, more power to you. I, you know, I, I watch clips because, you know, ESPN's good about saying, oh, well, watch this person. They ran a, a 4-2 and we knew that they were fast. We knew they were that fast. Fine. But there are people who sit and, and I think it was NFL Network will show the combine. And and I know that this season they are talking about making some modifications to the combine um, due to COVID. So either they're going to move it or they're, they're going to do it a little differently this year. But in past years, the NFL Network and I think ESPN would show uh, parts of the combine. I, I think the NFL Network pretty much shows the combine most of the day. And there are people who sit and watch this. And I'm kind of going, eh, okay, I appreciate those people because you watch the combine, so I don't have to. I'd rather just read about it. <laughs> like I'll say, okay, I'm interested in seeing how X wide receiver did. Or there's always that one guy who – you know, he he declares for the draft, gets invited to the combine and is and he comes out as a surprise. Maybe it's a wide receiver or an offensive lineman or some defensive back. Somebody maybe played at a school that maybe you may not have heard of or somebody played a pretty decent school, but they didn't get a lot of love. They get invited to the, to the combine and they just kill it. And their and their their uh, draft stock goes, you know, their rises tremendously. But nevertheless, um, you know, there's so many people out here, so many players out here who are going to be looked at by um, these teams. And it kind of irritates me to watch the draft because I'm thinking, thinking to myself, it really takes you 15 freaking minutes. So the length of an entire NFL quarter, it takes you 15 freaking minutes to figure this out. You know, who you're going to pick. Why do we take this 15 minutes? Because the NFL draft is it's over a number of days. I forget how many rounds it is. But in my head, I'm going, I cannot sit here and wait 15 minutes for you to pick somebody that we know you're going to pick. So the NFL draft annoys the living hell out of me. But when it's finally said and done, it always interests me to see all right, who picked who. And then, of course, it's always going to be the, OK, well, who did great? Who did terrible? It's always those grades by the by the quote experts. But as we know, we don't know who's going to be good until they get on the field because again we can give a team a particular grade about uh their drafts you know how many draft picks they got and we give them a grade but then when they get on the field it's always a different story someone's like oh that was a terrible draft and then most of their draft picks or all their draft picks end up going out there and killing it so more power to you if you got the patience to watch the the combine but even more power to you if you have the patience to uh, watch the NFL draft because it bores the living hell out of me. Um, NBA draft, I love it because, you know, it's quick, quick, fast. They know who they're going to pick and they get right right down to business. Um, the NFL divisionals, uh, so we know who's going to be in the respective championship games. So we got Kansas City and Buffalo in the AFC championships. I believe that is game two on Sunday. 
uh, Green Bay and New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans, Green Bay and New Orleans. If I, I think I marked that off correctly. So Green Bay and New Orleans will be playing in the divisional for the um, for the NFC championship. I'm sorry, Tampa Bay. Jeez, I, I marked the wrong thing. I thought it was Tampa Bay. Why did I say New Orleans? I thought it was Tampa Bay. Anyway, um, so Tampa Bay will go to Green Bay. So that game's at three three oh five on Fox. So the Packers are currently three and a half point favorites. And as I said, the Bills and the Chiefs, that's the one I got right. Uh, the Chiefs are three and a half point favorites against the Bills. And of course, the Super Bowl will be February 7th in Tampa Bay. So if Tampa Bay wins, they get a freaking home game. And that's going to be absolutely insane. Uh, if Tom Brady happens to win this one, can he please go home? <laughs> I mean, dude, you cannot win all the damn Super Bowls. Like, seriously. I mean, at this point, you know, they've already made your Hall of Fame bust. It's just a question of, okay, what team do you want it to be? And, of course, I'm sure he will obviously pick the Patriots because that's where he uh, made the substantial amount of his hay uh, in the NFL. So again, um, as I look at this, I will, um, you know, hopefully later in the week, we'll kind of make some picks on uh, who will be uh, playing for the Super Bowl. I mean, again, right now, that Kansas City um, Buffalo game um, looks very interesting because as we know, Patrick Mahomes uh, left the game with a concussion. So he's in concussion protocol. So uh, uh, Andy Reid is saying he could have returned pre-protocol. But, you know, do you really want to take those chances? Uh, you really got to have some people who are, you know, talking smart here to kind of make sure that, you know, Mahomes isn't, you know, talking loopy and looking crazy uh, later on as we as he moves through the remainder of his career. Um, so as we switch gears here, let's talk a little bit of college basketball. So the the usual Monday uh, the, the Monday overview of the um, of the new rankings here. So top 25, let's start with the ladies. So the ladies side, a lot of shakeup in the top 25 on the ladies side. So number one is Louisville this week. Louisville got 21st place votes. They moved up from number two to number one. They beat Florida State this past weekend. Meanwhile, Stanford over, I believe, Friday night lost to Colorado 77 to 72 in overtime. Lexi Hill had 19 for Stanford. However, for Colorado, Maya Hollings had 32 points and 10 rebounds. She had a double-double, and Colorado overcame number one Stanford. So, again, Stanford is still looking like a Final Four team. You hit a bump. It happens. I mean, they ran into, you know, on any given night, anything can happen. This is why we play the game. So because of that, Louisville's number one, followed by a number, another ACC team, number two, NC State, followed by UConn at three, South Carolina at four. They're currently in action. I'll update the score in a moment. And Stanford falls to number five, six through 10, UCLA, Maryland, Texas A&M, Baylor, and Arizona. Arizona had a really big win this past week, uh, beating Oregon 57 to 41. They beat them at home at Mikhail, at Mikhail Pavilion. That was the first time they had beaten Oregon in several years. Um, Arizona's defense was stellar. I mean, it was a beatdown. I mean, they just really were making, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen an Oregon team look this combobulated, uh, this discombobulated. Um, they were turning the ball over. I mean, Oregon was just active. They were really just making plays on the defensive end. 
Um, they had 23 turnovers when it was all said and done. Um, and then, of course, it was really outside the defense. They played really good team basketball. You had Trinity Baptiste, 14.6 rebounds. Eric McDonald, 16 points, two rebounds. Sam Thomas, 10.6 rebounds. So, again, the big three for Arizona really hit um, when, when they needed to. But, again, very an outstanding effort from those ladies. Now, other women's action of the, over the past week, uh, Texas A&M. So the number uh, eight team in the nation, they beat uh, Mississippi State 69 to 41. Kayla Wells for Texas A&M had 19 points. Mississippi State shot 27% from the field. You're not going to be anybody shooting 27%. And this was a 28 point loss for the Bulldogs. But again, they will definitely be in the conversation and contention as we move forward. Because again, the SEC, as I said, I think in the last episode, the SEC, you know, if you look at the whole conference, I mean, they've got some very good teams. And, you know, I think it's really, you know, anyone's, anyone's to win. Um, last night, Kentucky and Vanderbilt played. Um, it was a very close game towards the end. Kentucky pulled away, but Kentucky's looking great. Vanderbilt, they had their chances. I mean, they made some shots. They did some really good stuff. Stephanie White's got a really good team at Vanderbilt. They've just got to, you know, just kind of hold it together and try to pull out uh, some of these close wins, um, uh, take advantage of these opportunities to pull out these close wins. Uh, UCLA beat Washington State in overtime. Washington State currently uh, is the team that uh, is really getting a lot of love on the women's side. I mean, I think they're I think they got their first ranking uh, ever last week. Um, they stayed in the in the rankings for a week. They dropped out this past week. Um, I think they will be back in the top 25 at some point soon. They did get some votes this week, but not enough to kind of get them uh, into the top 25. Uh, Charisma Osborne for UCLA had 28 points, so 20 of those 68 points were by her. So, uh, you know, again, another Pac-12 team that is really, you know, so we get UCLA at number seven. I'm sorry, number six, rather. UCLA is doing some really good stuff. So the Pac-12, um, the SEC, are, you know, two in the ACC. So you got really three really good conferences that are really doing some great things uh, in women's college basketball. On the men's side, uh, Gonzaga holds on to number one again. They get 62 of 64 first place votes, followed by Baylor at number two. They uh, got two of the uh, first place votes this week, so they hold their position at number two, um, followed by Villanova, Iowa, and Texas rounds out the top five. Um, six through ten, you have Tennessee, Michigan, Houston, Kansas, and Wisconsin. So, uh, Duke. Duke is out of the top 25 for the first time since 2016. Uh, they're currently five and three overall, three and one in the ACC. They lost to Virginia Tech this past week. Um, prior to this week, they had spent 91 consecutive weeks in the top 25. That was second to Kansas, a distant second. Kansas just completed their 229th consecutive week in the top uh, in the top 25 poll. Now Gonzaga is number two with 87 consecutive weeks. So Gonzaga at 14 and 0, number one team in the nation, has the has the second longest top 25 streak uh, in the country. 
Um, looking at the scores in the past week, uh, Michigan got their first loss this week. So they dropped uh, in the top 20. Actually, they um, let me back up. They held their position. So they're number seven last week. They held their position in the AP poll. They dropped two spots in the coaches poll, but they got smacked uh, at Minnesota, 75 to 57. Um, Liam Robert, Liam Robbins for Minnesota had 22 points and eight rebounds. But the big story of this game is Michigan center, uh, uh, Hunter Dickinson. So in the first game, he just, he had a great game. They Minnesota goes to Chrysler and gets destroyed. Uh, Hunter Dickinson had a big game this time around. Minnesota held him to nine points. So he was not a factor in this game. And that's what led to the 18 point victory for the, for the Gophers. Um, Number two, Baylor, uh, they had to kind of squeak by and come from behind to beat Texas Tech, uh, 68 to 60. So they're 12 and 0. Uh, Davion Mitchell had 17 points for Baylor, hit a key three pointer with five and a half to go. So that's the uh, catalyst to kind of get them to uh, to this win. Mac McClung. So I've mentioned Mac McClung before. He's the Georgetown transfer. He uh, is at Texas Tech now. He has really been playing some solid basketball over the last few games. Um, they upset Texas earlier in the week. Um, he hit the game winning shot. He had 24 in this one in a losing effort for Texas Tech. But Texas Tech is a team, they're on the come up, they're 11 4, currently 12th in the nation. They're up three spots. So, I mean, Chris Beard, he's you know working his magic again. This is a team, again, another uh, one of a uh, number of Big 12 teams that is really, um, you know, just really getting it done right now. Um, in the Big Ten, Ohio State, uh, 87-81 over Illinois. E.J. EJ Liddell had 26.7 rebounds for Ohio State. This is the first two-game losing streak for Illinois this season. This game was a very physical game. So I think when these two teams meet again in Columbus, there's going to be, you know, I think the coaches and the referees are going to have to have some conversations. This is a very physical game. The referees had to break up fights. Um, there's one technical foul. So, again, this is a very contentious game won by the Buckeyes. Um, Gonzaga, number one Gonzaga, they beat their arch rival St. Mary's 73-59. to um, Four of the five starters for Gonzaga were in double figures in this game. Corey Kispert, who I, I swear that guy wakes up and starts shooting three-pointers from downtown Spokane. He just does not miss. And I think he is one of the, one of the many keys – for Gonzaga as they march towards winning a national title, 17 and five. So he's 17 points, five rebounds. He was 50% from three point land. He is probably one of the best three point shooters I've seen in quite a long time. And again, I said this before that, you know, Gonzaga, it would be terrible if they start missing shots, if they stop missing, or if they just, if they don't get a full team effort, which I don't expect to happen, but if, Kispert ever went cold. They've got other guys that can make shots and make plays. But Kispert is the guy that drives this bus. And if Kispert starts missing, he hits a cold streak, this team is going to be in trouble. But I don't see it. I feel like he just cannot freaking miss. And it is mind-blowing to watch him shoot. He just shoots and shoots and shoots. Now, with this game, big deficit, uh, big deficit that they won by, but they were only up by seven and a, seven at the half. So they end up blowing out their uh, arch rivals um, in the West Coast Conference. 
Um, the defending national champions, UVA, they went to Clemson and blew Clemson out of their own gym by 35, 85 to 50. This was the game that many UVA fans were looking for, that they were looking for that defensive effort to step up. The defense looked better, but the thing that about Tony Bennett has said about this team, this is probably one of his best offensive teams that he's had in a while, and it showed in this game. Five players were in double figures for the Cavaliers. Sam Hauser and Thomas Wolitensai each had 14 points. Hauser was four or five from three-point land. Wolitensai was four or six, so 66%, and I don't know what four or five is, but nevertheless, you get the idea. You, you shoot five, make four. That's a pretty high damn percentage. So uh, the defending champs, that's one game that is a very telling game. If they can continue on this clip, look out. The defending champs are looking to try to hold on to the title, but we shall see how that's going to go. Um, Some other news from college basketball. Uh, The latest team to cancel their season. Speaking of UVA, the Virginia women's basketball team cancels their season. They're 0-5. They last played on December 13th. Um, They've had a number of issues with injuries and COVID protocols. So because of that, they've been playing with at least seven to eight players per game, and they felt it was best to cancel the season, kind of in the same reasons that uh, the Duke women's team, they canceled their season. They figured, you know, it's better to – you know, you know, think of the safety of the players to kind of keep everyone as healthy as possible. And I thoroughly agree. I've been, you know, I've really been saying um, that, you know, it's difficult to balance all this out, that you want to have, you want the players to play. The players want to play. Okay. I say it. And as I say it, I kind of believe it and kind of don't believe it. Nevertheless, um, because of playing in a pandemic, you know, you're going to have these issues and then having these issues, um, you know, you know what all comes with it. So with that said, um, you know, the, the you know, head coach, Tina Thompson, of course, UVA uh, athletic staff thought that it was better that the players, that the team just stopped playing. Um, I don't know if they're continuing to practice and, and engage in um, activities because they can do that per NCAA rules. They can still practice and, 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 and do basketball activities, but it is um, difficult to kind of do that, but it is better for the safety and the well-being of everyone involved uh, with, with the program here. Um, one update here. So one women's game in progress, number four, South Carolina leads number 15, Arkansas, 47, 52 to 47. They have 653 in the third quarter. Um, I've talked about this Arkansas team. We know what South Carolina can do. I mean, I, I think this is going to be a good one. I might see if I can catch the fourth quarter if I <laughs> end this uh, anytime soon, but we'll see how it goes. Um, also, uh, kind of touching up one last quick uh, note that I'm seeing here in the updates here. Uh, the Vanderbilt women's team is ending their season early. They are having issues with a depleted roster. They are currently four and four and zero and three in the SEC. Um, so they've had some really bad losses, but their roster has been thinned out not only by COVID opt outs, injuries. Um, they have a player with myocard- myocarditis and another player recovering from an AC- uh, ACL injury. So the list: Duke, SMU. 
Virginia, San Jose State, and now Vanderbilt are all women's teams that have decided to end their season early. So, again, safety is paramount uh, as we are currently in what I like to call COVID times. All right, so I want to come back. I want to talk briefly about a breaking story in college football. So uh, next episode, I kind of want to talk a little bit of way too early top 25, maybe look at more college basketball stuff, some rankings. I kind of want to dabble in, in bracketology. I don't know how to get started in that. I, I'm, I mean, like I said, I want to live in Joe Lenardi's head for one day and just kind of understand how this works because I know there's a lot of math and stuff that I'm really not very good at, but I kind of want to start thinking about the tournament. Although we're wondering if the tournament's going to happen, I do want to start to think about those sorts of things and how we're going to look um, potentially in March. So stay tuned. All right. Welcome back. So breaking story in college football, the University of Tennessee will fire head football coach Jeremy Pruitt tomorrow at 5 p.m. after a week-long in-house investigation into recruiting violations by the football program. So essentially, the university has sent out a notice of intent to terminate, and they concluded, quote, the conduct by at least two assistant coaches and several recruiting staff members are likely to lead to an NC2A finding of a level one and or level two violation of one or more governing athletic rules. The university has also concluded that these likely findings were the result of either your material neglect or lack of reasonable preventative compli compliance measures, end quote. So there are three levels of NCAA uh, uh, essentially uh, violations, level one, level two, level three. Level one is referred to as a severe breach of conduct. So violations that are defined as seriously undermining or threatening the integrity of college sports are a substantial or extensive impermissible benefit or provide or are intended to provide a substantial or extensive recruiting comp competitive or other advantage. So things like academic misconduct, unethical conduct, violation of head coach responsibility rules, payment to payments to recruits, booster involvement, or collective level two and level three violations, a level two violation. So these are provided uh, to provide or are intended to provide more than a minimal, but less than a substantial or extensive recruiting competitive or other advantage includes more than a minimal, but less than a substantial or extensive impermissible benefit or involve conduct. They may compromise the integrity of college sports, things like failure to monitor, multiple recruiting, financial aid or eligibility violations, violation of the head coach responsibility rules, um, impermissible contact with student athlete or prospect or collective level three violations. So level three is just a breach of conduct. These are your most minor uh, NCAA violations. Um, so essentially, as I mentioned, the university intends to terminate him tomorrow at five o'clock. He's suspended with pay. Um, so this will also affect uh, assistant coaches Brian Niedermeyer and Sheldon Felton. They will also be terminated. They have been issued termination letters as well. Um, so if you recall, Jeremy Pruitt was granted a large 
pay extension, a large contract extension with a pay raise. I think he would have made 4.2 million this upcoming season. Um, if he's fired without cause, he gets his money. If he's fired for cause, he gets no salary compensation or benefits. It looks like he's going to be fired for cause. He will not see any of that money. Um, so we're looking at Pruitt has been in Knoxville for three years, 35 games. He's 16 and 19 overall. He's 10 and 16 versus conference competition. He's two of two and 11 against ranked opponents. So, Overall, for the conference, this will be the fourth head coaching change in the SEC. So, again, I mentioned that, you know, there was this I, this is problem that a lot of folks thought that, you know, what's the issue? Pruitt's not getting it done in the field, but because of the extension, the university decided to hold off. But this is news to at least most of us because, you know, we don't know an investigation is happening until it happens and it gets reported. But this is unfortunate because it appears that, his assistants and his recruiting uh, staff, um, you know, engaged in these violations. But it sounds as if that, um, you know, he was not doing what he needed to do to ensure that these coaches and this uh, recruiting um, coordinator were within the rules of recruiting. So essentially that goes to when we say a level one, um, a violation of the head coach responsibility rules. So that's either a level one uh, that falls in the level one and uh, level two. But essentially, it sounds like there were some issues. And I believe the major issue that they talked about was there was potentially some payment to a um, a recruit. I'm trying to go back over my notes here. But anyway, um, the, the issue here is that with that uh, type of issue that is a serious violation and um, for the university to self to investigate and self-report it that essentially kind of saves them a little bit because these are the types of violations that potentially can be um, detrimental highly detrimental to the program in essence uh, programs have essentially been cut off or given the quote death penalty um, so with that by Tennessee rooting this problem out they avoid some serious uh, backlash from the NCAA. There will be repercussions, but they won't be as serious as if the NCAA came in and investigated and found it. So by self-reporting these, it kind of saves the NCAA from coming in and having you know to tell them, well, we found it. You didn't tell us. So guess what? We're going to have to cut your scholarships. We're going to have to handcuff you. You can't go to bowls, blah, 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 blah. So all that good stuff. Um, so essentially, uh, Kevin Steele, who just recently came over from Auburn as a defensive assistant, will be the interim coach. He is an alum. He was interviewed in the last hiring cycle when Pruitt was hired. Uh, he started his coaching career at Tennessee after he played under the legendary Johnny Majors. So he will be the interim coach. However, he also is in the pool of candidates for the head coaching job. Now, there's another wrinkle to this, Philip Fulmer. So Philip Fulmer is the AD, the current AD at Tennessee. He was the last coach to win a national championship at Tennessee. I think that was 1998. Um, he's retiring, so this is his last year. So the problem here is that uh, the university has retained a hiring firm to hire a new AD. So they has got to go baby steps. 
new AD gets hired, then what's the first thing they got to do when they walk in the door? Hire a new football coach. So this will be the fifth time Tennessee since 2008, the fifth time that they will hire a football coach. I think Tennessee fans are probably getting a little pissed off and a little bit angry about this process because if you remember to me talking about this and if you remember what happened when they hired Pruitt, there was a whole lot of hullabaloo about his hiring because, again, he got hired after you know fans raised all kinds of hell about all the different candidates that were being presented. So I think Greg Schiano was one of the candidates and somebody started some rumor that he had some um, uh, affiliation or some something to do with the Sandusky situation at Penn State because uh, Shiano was a, a, a assistant at Penn State for a short time and people wanted to make some associations that were not true and that sank his candidacy because, you know, the Internet is well I, I hate to say the internet is undefeated in the situation but you know what happens you put it on the internet most people are going to believe it's true and then it's going to run people are going to run with it and then you've got all kinds of hearsay that is going to you know run through a fan base and then everyone's going to start to say we don't want this guy and did it work out for shiano i think it did he's back at Rutgers. Rutgers is trying to get back on that track because when Shiano was at Rutgers, Rutgers was on top. Rutgers was doing great. I think, you know, I guess it all worked out for the best regardless. Um, so anyway, um, some names that have been brought up uh, in this, uh, because there are always going to be names. Um, so all the names that you can think of. So someone like Hugh Freeze. So Hugh Freeze is currently at Liberty, former head coach at Ole Miss. So one thing about Hugh Freeze is Hugh Freeze is one of a couple coaches who's beat Saban. I mean, do we really want to put that much stock in beating Saban? I mean, yeah, you beat Saban, but did you beat him to win a championship? That's the question. But the next thing is we also have to remember the things that got Hugh Freeze out of Ole Miss. So he has some NCAA violations that he resigned over. He's at Liberty. Liberty gave him another chance, and he's making good on that on that second chance. You, you know, shout out to Hugh Freeze, the work he's doing at Liberty. They are really a good football team. So I think a lot of people are going to feel a little weird. They're going to feel some kind of way about replacing a guy who's getting fired for NCAA violations by hiring with a guy who had to resign over NCAA violations. But with all that said, Hugh Freeze will coach in SEC again. It's just where is going to be the question. Um, so here's another interesting name, Gus Malzahn, who just recently got fired at Auburn. Uh, another guy who's beat Saban, two SEC West titles with Auburn. Um, I mean, hey, I mean, if he does some things to kind of spice up that offense a little bit, because as we remember, the offensive efficiency dropped tremendously at Auburn. And that was one things that got him pushed out the door. So if he comes in with a fresh approach um, and plus he also has a way with quarterback. So if he, you know, spices it up, he has a good quarterback, maybe, but again, that's another name. Um, Tom Herman comes up again, another offensive guy. Um, then of course, folks like, uh, Doug Marone, who just recently got fired at Jacksonville. Uh, he has some, I believe he has some ties to, uh, the university. 
Um, Tony Elliott's name uh, always comes up in these coaching searches. So he's the offensive coordinator at Clemson. Um, I mean, the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, is Tony Elliott, is he waiting for the right opportunity or is he just kind of thinking, eh, I'm good where I am. I know a good thing when I see it. It's hard to say. We won't know until Tony Elliott takes a job. But again, he's he's ready. He's definitely ready. Um, he's the primary play caller at Clemson. But again, what opportunity will he take? It's hard to say. Um, another name that always comes up lately, Jamie Chadwell, who's the head coach at uh, Coastal Carolina. Um, he's that new up and coming name. I would say give Chadwell maybe another year or two. So if he can continue to replicate that success, because that's the thing that happens in sports, especially college sports, you get that one coach who has that one good year and everybody wants to hire that person. So what ends up happening, either they go somewhere else to a bigger program and it works out great for them, or they go to a bigger program and they flounder for two or three years and get fired. So, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, I think Jamie Chappell is a good coach. The proof is in what you see, but can he sustain that success for a few more years? If he sustains that success for two or three more years, then I think, you know, whatever jobs are available, whatever great opportunities are out there for him that he feels that he's ready for, I think that's the way to go. But I think Chadwell's name will come up. I feel like he also just signed a contract, like another extension. He's done so well, so I don't really see him going anywhere anytime soon. Um they throw out Luke Fickle's name. I mean, it, here's the thing. If Luke Fickle, I, I'm going to give you my theory. If Luke Fickle, it, let me back up. If um, So we said uh, Harbaugh signed, Jim Harbaugh signed his extension at um, at Michigan. He got Mike Hart to come back to Michigan to coach running backs. He hired a new defensive coordinator. He hired uh, the defensive coordinator of the Ravens to be the new D.C. Fine. Now, if Harbaugh did not get the extension, wait for it. I was going to say Michigan should go out to Luke Fickle. Why? Let's think about the history that Michigan has had with Ohio-born coaches. Case in point, Bo Schembechler. Okay. Bo Schembechler played for and coached for who? Woody Hayes. There's a tree here. Shim Beckler built that program. Luke Fickle, uh, you know, Ohio State guy, coach there. He's got Cincinnati on top. I'm just saying that they, if they let Harbaugh go, I think Luke Fickle would be the next obvious choice, in my opinion. But that's just my thought. Um, Bill O'Brien's name is, is, is on the table. He is going to be the new OC at Alabama. O'Brien's not a bad choice. Think about what he did with Penn State after, you know, all the fallout with the Sandusky situation, um, playing with limited uh, uh, scholarships and, you know, kind of players, you know, not having the, the the personnel and the players, you know, having that shroud over that program. He did such great work. And when he bolted for the NFL, I, I was a little puzzled because I thought to myself, you know, here's a guy who I think could continue to build his program up. And when he bolted for the NFL, he actually, you know, as we saw, he had a few good seasons and then they gave him the GM position and it all went to hell. But um, I think what's going to happen with O'Brien, like a lot of these guys who decide to go to Alabama, he's going to buy this time. He'll be at Alabama for two or three seasons and another job will come up and he'll 
waltz out the door like Sarkeesian just did. He's there for a couple of years. He waltzes out the door and gets a job at Texas. O'Brien will be back at head coaching job. The question is where and when. But again, he's setting himself up because, again, you know, uh, the head coaching position at Alabama, as we know, is solid until Saban decides to go. It's the coordinator positions that tend to be, you know, transient currently because they walk in, they know their job, they get to work with Nick Saban, they learn a lot, they absorb that, and then they're groomed and ready for a head coaching job. You know, O'Brien, I don't think really needs that. He's been a good head coach, but hell, if Nick Saban wants to give me a job, sure, I'll take it. <laughs> It'll make me a better person. I can, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to do all this great stuff. I'm just saying, hypothetically but you get the idea that you know if you're given that opportunity why not take it you're going to take it because it's going to help you in the long run because that's your that's your platform to leap to the next job if you so choose again you may say hey i kind of like this i like being on the winning side of things i like contributing to you know the greatness that is alabama football what they're doing with nick saban and all players are bringing in why not why not stick around why not be a part of greatness why not you know have more rings to put on every finger and a few toes why not do that okay um lastly uh the current head coach of west virginia neil brown so he was formerly before he took the west virginia job he was the offensive coordinator at kentucky i mean i don't remember how i West Virginia is one of those programs I typically try to pay attention to. But then as I, you know, as I thought about it, I'm like, I didn't really hear much from 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 them this year. Like I didn't really pay that close attention to them. As I look at the standings, they finished, yeah, probably about middle of the pack. So they were four and four in conference. They were six and four overall. So they didn't they weren't terrible this year. But at the same time, too, you know, we're talking about West Virginia football. They have they have history. They have a uh, lineage. So these guys, you know, they want a program that's going to be competing with the big boys. But again, here you go. You've got at the top of the Big 12 this year, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Texas. Those are your top four teams. TCU finished fifth and then uh, West Virginia was right behind TCU. Kansas State was behind them. So you've got, you know, then Texas Tech, Baylor and Kansas, Kansas in the cellar. That's a whole nother story. Um, kind of was reading some stuff about some of the hot seat coaches in the next season. And uh, unfortunately, Les Miles is on the hot seat, came in with a lot of, you know, a lot of energy. They won a couple games, won a few games that first season. You know, he had a pretty good recruiting class, but I think a lot of guys left. They transferred. I think, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't know if he's coming back to Tech next year, but their running back this past season was a Kansas transfer, and that guy was running over everybody. But if you think about West Virginia football, they, again, are a program that wants to be in the elite. But, you know, to be in the elite, you just can't say it. It happens. you got to bring in the players. you got to really have your system going. you got to do the things to compete with the Oklahomas, the Oklahoma States, and the Texas of the world. So with that said, you know, would Neil Brown, you know, would he leave West Virginia to be the new Tennessee coach? Mm, I don't know. Like I said, if he's the guy and uh, they made it worth his while, sure. But lastly, the name that is 
really come to the forefront. And a lot of people think this might be the guy is Billy Napier. So Billy Napier's name has come up in so many jobs the last few years. He's the head coach of Louisiana Lafayette. He's 41 years old. Overall, in 39 games, he's 28 and 11. And over the last two years, he's 21 and 4. Um, he was formerly an assistant at Alabama. So I'm thinking to myself, young guy, successful, um, has some SEC experience. I mean, Tennessee might want to start to think about somebody outside the box. He has that connection. He's in Louisiana. He's been in Alabama. He knows the South. He knows the region. He knows where to get the players. So then maybe it's a question of, okay, being a 41-year-old guy, he can probably relate to the players a little bit better and bringing a system and a culture that can hopefully turn Tennessee back into a contender in the SEC East. So again, Napier might be the guy, but who knows, considering, you know, the the really untenable position that the new AD has to come into, you know, what do you do? If you're the new guy, you've got to hire a football coach, especially in a very tense environment such as Knoxville and being a Tennessee fan, I don't envy that person. Whoever it's going to be, I don't envy them because they've got a really difficult decision to make. And, I mean, you've got Kevin Steele who knows the culture, somebody like Billy Napier who, as we said, is – you know, someone who knows SEC, knows Southern football, SEC football, or you've got the other world of candidates and names. I mean, it could be somebody who's not even on this list, just straight out the box. We don't know, but we'll know when it happens. And when it happens, I will tell you about it. We'll talk about it here. And thank you so much for listening. I'm going to end it there for tonight. Um, again, I asked that. As you're listening, if you like what you hear, uh, rate me, subscribe, tell a friend, get the word out, um, send me a voicemail on Anchor, um, hit me up on Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. I'm also on IG. Um, as I said, uh, answer my question on Twitter. Um, so it's under hashtag Sportswagon Podcast, and it's basically what's on your sports bucket list. So we'll kind of talk about that in a, in a future episode. Um, kind of, I want to hear some of your things that, you know, you want to do uh, in sports and Hey, we're on our way to hundred episodes and it starts with episode 51, which will be coming at you very soon until then. Thank you so much. Enjoy the sports. Um, before we go, I want to update and see what's the update of the uh, women's game here. If I can find it real quick. Um, South Carolina, 522 left in the fourth quarter. They have a nice, comfortable 21 point lead over Arkansas, 87 to 66. So this Arkansas team's 11 4. They need that 87 to 70. Arkansas is 11 4. South Carolina's 9 and 1. Again, you know, here we go with, um, you know, Arkansas, as we said, they're, they're a good team, but they've, you know, got to, you know, kind of muscle up a little bit and play uh, a little bit bigger basketball. But nevertheless, I think they can do it. But it's going to be fun to see how all this will play out as the season goes along. And we hope that we will get a um, a, a further season. So there's some headlines I'm seeing here. 
um, that hopefully we'll talk about next time. Uh, again, as teams are shutting down, we've got some some women's coaches speaking out. Gina Orient, Gina Oriema on one side is saying most players don't want to shut down. Kim Monkey from Baylor is saying the almighty dollar trumps health. So we'll kind of address some of those things in our next episode. Thank you. Have a good evening. Take care. Wear your mask. Distance. Stay home if you have to. Just keep yourself well. Take care.